0: Hello, welcome to the Slogans Podcast, where we love to talk quality and design, but most of all, we love to hear the inspiring stories of the masters of these spaces. Join me, your host, Logan Ratcliffe, as we talk about Maine, adventure, business, and we explore with these creators the different aspects of quality and design and and everything around them together. I'm here today with Bill Arita, the president of Swans Island Company. And uh, Bill, would you mind sharing, you know, a couple of publications, like favorite ones maybe you're most proud of that you've been in, Mm -hmm. different types of pieces, um, maybe people have seen them?
1: Sure. We've been fortunate over the years. So the company's been in existence since 1992, Mm -hmm. and I've been the president of the company since 2004. And I think because it's such a sort of a romantic concept of making blankets, and when we started on Swan's Island... Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, especially in the early days, we had a lot of publicity, so Martha Stewart did a whole piece on us, mm-hmm. uh, both in her uh, print publication as well as on her, uh, her TV show, and that, that was fantastic. That's um, exciting, yeah. Yeah, we've been, uh, we were just talking before we started recording here about um, a more recent piece we had on uh, WGBH, I believe, the call numbers out of uh, the Boston public uh tv station. Mm-hmm. So they came and did a piece about 5 minutes on us. It was with you know other like businesses. Mm-hmm. And that really uh initiated a response from people in you know in the Boston area, so that was great. We've been in the New York Times, we've been in Coastal Living. We've been in uh really too many to mention local publications right. um I th- we've had a mention before in the Washington Post, you were just talking about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Lots of good things. Lots of good things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you've been blessed. Yeah. And you guys make great stuff. So. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you. We, we try to always keep our eyes on the main focus of why we're in business, mm-hmm. which is to make these beautiful heirloom products mm-hmm. that have real meaning for people. Uh, And part of the the reason that they have real meaning is it's the story. And the story is based on what we actually do. It's not like a made-up story. It's the story of how we source the fleece, spin the yarn, Mm. dye the yarn, weave the yarn, finish it up, package it beautifully, design, all of that stuff is meaningful to people Mm -hmm. who want something in their life um, that's special. Mm -hmm. And that's, in a way, you know, I mean, our blankets function very well. Sleeping under wool blanket really does improve your sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, having something that you can hand down, actually, mm-hmm. that has meaning to you beyond just what you paid for it and how it functions, but the thing unto itself has meaning that's, you know, sort of implicit in it. And that's mm-hmm. really what people love, I think, about our product. Right. Even more than the functionality of, you know, beautiful textile on your bed that keeps you warm.
0: Sure. So, yeah, before we get more into that, I'd love mm-hmm. to just hear about Bill. And, <laughs> and Bill's, your story, uh, you know, when we had lunch, you told me a little bit about it and I was fascinated. Um, so, I'd love to share, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with you know, growing okay. up or, or coming up through and then, you know, eventually how, how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear. Um, and I'm sure, sure our listeners would. Yeah. Okay. And an ins- inspiration, you know. Yeah. I love to hear people's stories, you know, I love to listening to biographies and there's always inspiration mixed in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um well, I'm one of six children. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in upstate New York in a small town uh in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, for my mom and dad, it was six kids in eight years. So <laughs> it was a lot of kids, and we were all each other's playmates. And we had on the property some old barns. Um, and those barns had been used for all sorts of different things, including square dances and mm-hmm. hay storage and also a workshop. And I used to go, and when my mom and dad bought that property, the people just sort of left. They didn't want any of that old stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. So the workshop was still had a hand cranked lathe, I remember, and all these jigs for making rocking chairs. And cool. I loved to play in there. And there was always something you could find in there that was like, what is this? And uh, so I always had an attraction to the material world, let's mm-hmm. say, how things are made. And I loved, I just loved to make things. Mm-hmm. So um, I, have spent time doing um, carpentry and furniture building. I was a blacksmith for a little while, always interested in how do you make beautiful, useful items. Uh, When Swan's Island came up as a possibility for us, it was, well, this really, I mean, I'm also fascinated in how the economy works and how businesses, particularly small businesses, make it. You know, most businesses don't make it. You don't hear about those ones. You hear about maybe the few that are inspirational stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is it, you know, how do you run a business? How do you raise money? How do you work with employees? How do you finance the whole thing? Marketing and sales—all of that—I find quite interesting. So, how do you take this beautiful product that has integrity and get it out into the world mm-hmm. in a way that works in our the economy that we have? You know, for for better or worse, this is the economy we have, right? right. And um, you can argue whether it's a good system or not, but it is the system we have. So, I really wanted to understand how that system worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, putting my love of making things together with you know this keen interest in small business, Yeah, uh, that's really what inspires me with Swan's Island. And you've got to be, you know, I often say being a, running a small business is not for the faint of heart mm-hmm. because you have to be nimble and flexible, and yet you have to maintain the integrity of what you're making. I mean, we have an unwritten contract with our uh, customers, and that is that we will make this beautiful blanket um, and stand behind it. We also have a blanket hospital, so uh, as well as an organic cleaning service. So we're always there for our customers. And we've always sort of implicitly said to them, we're never going to skimp on quality. Mm-hmm. Never. Uh, we have other products that we sell that are also great for what they are. Um, and the same holds true for that. But particularly with our core product, our handwoven blankets, we are still making them the exact same way that we made them on Swan's Island starting in 1992. Mm-hmm. So that will never change as long as I'm in charge. Sure. And uh, we do have, you know, we also have to charge what we charge for because it's an extraordinarily expensive way to make something, mm-hmm. as is anything that's really worthwhile and going to last for generations is. I agree. So, um, yeah. So that's, uh, wow, I think I, I uh, Wandered a bit from your original question. Yes.
0: But well, you also told me at lunch that you were in Waldorf schools. I, yes. I haven't. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and sure. blacksmithing or anything. I was just like, ooh, I really would love to hear about that. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, so mm. um, let's see where to start with that. Well, um, I've met my wife forty-five years ago, mm-hmm. and we've been. We have two children. Uh, and three grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And um, in that course of time, I've been doing this for with Swan's Island for 20 years. But before that, I was a teacher. And that worked out really well having young children. Um, And I taught both in uh, public school. And then I got really attracted to the Waldorf school system. Um, What about it? Well, a... lots of things but one thing that's um, really stands out is it's an educational system that is really committed to process mm-hmm. so that's I think the through line through what I do now and what I did then okay so for instance you start uh, you you teach in units or blocks they're called in a Waldorf school and you start with a blank main lesson book it's called so it's just a blank book with you know empty pages in it Okay. when you're done with that block that that book is filled but one of the things you're teaching is how do you build up a uh knowledge and skills and how do you really come to understand something well you've got to see how you make something mm. that's all about art really and these books are incredibly beautiful uh to each to each student's ability of course mm-hmm. it's it's not an Art school per se, right? But a lot is done through art because you're trying to teach children that they're the authors of their destiny. Mm-hmm. So you don't do that, in my opinion, by giving them a textbook that's already someone else has already, you know, sort of re, you know, done the done the research and recapitulated right. this, and now you just Here's learned what this I stuff. Want you to
0: memorize. Yeah, this yeah.
1: is more like let's let's you know I'm going to give you a lesson. We're going to um, in the early grades. Do a lot of drawing, mm-hmm. you know. So you come to understand through drawing. Through that process, we'll start our, you know, our math lessons that way. We'll do our language arts lessons. We'll do our science, you mm-hmm. know, and that of course changes from, you know, just going out and doing nature walks when they're very young to studying physics and chemistry and physiology and uh, and whatnot in uh, in the middle school. But all of it's done with that same idea, where you start with a blank book. And you create something, and you go, you go through a process, so that is very in my experience with my own children um, it's very empowering mm. because it's like, okay, I can create this textbook, make this beautiful thing, come to really understand this particular subject uh, at first, with a lot of help from the teacher, but then you know, as I get older into the middle school, and you know, these schools go into high school as well um more out of my own forces as I, you know, sort of come to know myself better and have more skills. Right. So I think that's, I mean, there's a lot to it, but that's the thing that, you know, really stands out in this context.
0: Was the blacksmithing before? Mm. I just think blacksmithing is... Yeah. So was that before Waldorf or No, it was. So
1: in Waldorf schools, you, um, if you can, if you're able to, Mm -hmm. and you're a grade school teacher, which I was, you, take, you start a class in first grade and you go through them to eighth. Oh. So you have to, you can never rely on those musty, dusty old notes. You always are, rec- are creating something new each year. Okay. And as I said, it's not only is the, what you're teaching, but how you're approaching the children sure. has to change. So part of what you're doing is modeling that. Mm-hmm. So I went through, excuse me, I picked up a class in middle school and taught that. So that teacher wasn't able to continue. And then I started a first grade and went through eighth grade. And when I had graduated that class, I decided it was time to try something else. Okay. So the first thing I did was to apprentice myself with a local blacksmith where we were living in Charlottesville, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a master blacksmith and he uh, taught... You know, again, it was this idea of taking something and taking a raw piece of metal and making something beautiful and useful out of it. Uh, and I did that for about a year. Uh, that didn't seem quite right for any number of reasons. Uh, one of them being that I'm really not, you know, if you know blacksmiths, they're usually built quite a bit differently than I am. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm sort of, you know, tall and lean, and blacksmiths need to have, you know, more. Oomph behind them Stock. than what I've got yeah, yeah exactly yeah so that was part of it and uh anyway you know it was a great thing to do and I've really enjoyed it and I use that knowledge and when I make things at home mm-hmm. uh, just for myself or sure someone else so. what was
0: it, like a favorite thing you ever were able to make
1: it, as a blacksmith yeah um I made this bench that was a lot of fun that had a sunburst in the middle of it. So right. that was one project that uh, Steve the owner said, "Well, you can kind of do whatever you want to here." So it was fun figuring out the physics of how do you make a bench that's comfortable and sits flat? Right. And then this design of having a starburst in the middle which I think we did out of or I did out of uh, brass. So the rest of it was was wrought out of iron and painted black. Wow. And then this starburst was or sunburst rather was uh mm-hmm. made out of bronze or brass, I can't remember now. And mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun, and I actually have a little um, book. of I took images of the things I got to work on, and oh, cool. we did a lot of railings.
0: Oh, this island's beautiful.
1: Yeah, that was fun.
0: So, for, so from the blacksmithing up to <clears throat> becoming the president of Swan's Island, yeah. what's what's in between?
1: Um, well, I did some carpentry then, and mm-hmm. we, my wife and I were trying to sort of figure out, we were living in Charlottesville, it's where we'd raised our children, right. where we had both been involved in the Waldorf School, and we had been coming up to Maine for a long time because um, I had a brother who moved up here first. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, before that, my mom went to a summer camp in Maine when she was a, a youngster, and that always stuck with her. She just loved Maine and would always talk about it. Mm. Um, this is, I think, is the- It's a common what, theme. A common theme, yeah. yes. So my brother apprenticed, in, you know, after vet mm-hmm. school, apprenticed and then became a vet in um, Camden, Maine. And so we started coming up and visiting him. My parents ended up sort of semi-retirement up there. Then I had actually four of my five siblings move up. Wow. Um, And then we finally came up in 2004 to buy this business along with my brother and some other investors. Uh, And my wife also uh, became moved up here because there was was a Waldorf school, still is. Right. In Rockport, and she became the director of that school and stayed in that position for seventeen years. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of worked out, and we liked the idea of being, you know, around my parents as they were getting older and siblings. And Maine, of course, is a beautiful place, and mm. if you can get work up here, so that was, you know, sort of a requirement. We weren't going to just move up and figure right. out what the heck to do. So buying this business and um, apprenticing on Swan's Island and um, on the weekends renovating uh, the space in northport on the coast that we currently inhabit uh, we did not want to live on Swan's Island it's uh, beautiful but really hard to get to yes uh, it's really up there and you know, obviously it's an island you have to take a, a ferry to it right so uh, that was part of the deal was that we bought the business and learned how to do the dyeing and the weaving and how to sell them and
0: so you move so you you guys bought the building that in Northport and you okay yes yeah just (laughs) yeah anybody who's seen it yeah it's a gorgeous building I was just curious you know on the on the transition I actually have my grandfather um on my dad's side the Rackliffs. we would have he'd always have a family reunion yeah you know lobster and clam you know all the main stuff yeah and uh I think a decent amount of them came from Swans Island. I have never got into those roots a lot. Um but uh, I would like to someday.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there were quarries on Swan's Island. Yes. Quarries and, everywhere. Yeah, quarries everywhere. Yeah. But that's also, um, you know, no longer quarries, I don't believe, active. But then no, people No, I think moved there's only like, one in the state. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think Stonington's going again. Oh, interesting. At the end of it. Uh, or don't quote me on that. But yeah. there's, not, there's not many actual like um, right. granite quarries. Right. <clears throat> there's dragon cement with the... They get their lime and other things, Mm. but
2: -hmm.
0: but uh, yeah. So now we're up to Swan's Island. So Mm. let's what what are the roots of Swan's Island? Yeah, and yeah, how did it become? And then you know how did you guys hear about it and take it over? And what you know I'd love to hear about Swan's Island.
1: Sure. So Swan's Island Company, Company, which was called at that time. (laughs) <laughs> it was called the Atlantic Blanket Company, makers of Swans Island blankets. Okay, so that was a mouthful, but that was because the founders, John and Caroline Grace, could not agree on a name. <laughs> so I can't remember who who wanted which, but they they both one wanted the Atlantic Blanket Company and one wanted Swans Island Blankets because they mm. were going they lived in um, Brookline, mm-hmm. but they wanted to, they had a summer place on Swans Island and they wanted to move there. And it was like, what are we going to do there? They were sort of semi retired lawyers. Right. And um, they didn't need to make a lot of money, also just because of who they are, but also because they'd been attorneys. So they came up with this name, um, which is a, a bit of a mouthful. But um, so they, uh, John, who's a real flinty old New Englander and um, doesn't look any older now than he did when I met him 20 years ago. Wow. Um, great guy he uh he and Caroline, well John had these blankets in the family, mm-hmm. um so he's you know the, been in the New England forever, the Boston area, and they were great blankets, and he sort of said one day, well, wonder who's making these still and turned out no one was from what he could tell mm-hmm. this sort of this particular style, and so um he went to RISD and sat in on some classes and um you know, learned how to do some basic weaving, and um, purchased uh, one of the looms that we still have, and put it in their dining room in Brookline mm-hmm. to see if they could make a blanket. Cool. And uh, started doing that, and you know, their whole focus was on the quality. It mm-hmm. was not really a business in you know you hear these days of you know, a traditional path for a company to start would be to identify a need and to raise capital and to come up with a business plan. They didn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. They just said, we want to make the best blanket we can and we'll charge what we have to charge for it and we're going to make it on Swan's Island. Oh, I love it. So they moved to Swan's Island, they moved the loom up there and they hired some local folks and they started making blankets. And uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Martha Stewart, who is a citizen up uh, in the, you know, that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, heard about it and was entranced by this whole idea, which is very romantic, making blankets on an island off the coast of Maine. Mm-hmm. So um, that really helped grow the company. And for years after, anytime that ran, we'd get a spike in sales and people would come in and say, didn't I see you in Martha Stewart and so on? And right, uh, Which also, I'll go back to an earlier question. Yeah. Um, so we have been very fortunate in that we have made either a blanket or a throw or some something for every administration since the second Bush administration. Oh, And we got a lot of play when we made, um, when the Obamas first came into the White House, they uh, got in touch through, you know, not directly with us, but through the person in charge of protocol gifts and saw our product and said, this would be perfect for, uh, we have the uh, prime minister of uh, Great Britain visiting. Sure. And um, their his wife, David Cameron, at the time's wife was pregnant. Um, so let's get them a baby blanket and embroider it. Um, and we got a lot of press around that. And so that was, you know, go back to your early question about some press I really remember. That was, that really made everyone feel quite good, mm-hmm. you know, and it was exciting. And and before them, the Bushes had, had bought and Um, so everyone since then has used it as a protocol gift to give to visiting dignitaries. Oh, cool. So we just, you know, most recently, Jill Biden uh, and Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, Mm -hmm. both bought, uh, I think it was five throws each, hand embroidered, you know, from the, you know, from Jill Biden or from Anthony Blinken, or I I can't remember exactly what the words were, but
0: something like that. Oh, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, so that was really great. I've, I've meandered a bit, though, because your question was... So, hey,
0: yeah, so you're on the island. The, so the original founders, they're yes. on the island. They just started making these, I think, yeah. basically. Yeah, exactly. No they started yeah. making
1: these blankets. They weren't using any dyed yarn at the time. Mm-hmm. Then they started to feel like, well, we need to add a little color Where to Where's the
0: material coming from? Is this like... Is it actually sheep around Maine or... or, or is well, it wool? Is it...
1: Yeah, so it's... All, it's you know, our main thing is uh, sheep's wool. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know... We could have a whole podcast just on that subject, yeah, but I won't, sure. I won't bore you with the details there. Oh, I would love it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we continue to use, um, there's two families, one in Ohio, one in Pennsylvania, and their names are the Rikerts and the Ruperts, just mm-hmm. sort of alliteratively have a similarity there. Huh. Um, and they raise award-winning Corydale sheep. It's a particular breed that happens to be very, very well suited for our summerweight okay. blankets. Mm-hmm. So um, they were sourcing from there and- So
0: that's where they originally started sourcing from Mm -hmm. too? And that's where- And that's where we continue to. Wow, cool.
1: Um, And they started to use a mill here in Maine, in Springvale, Maine called Jagger Brothers, Mm -hmm. which has been in the Jagger family since the 1880s. And so that's where we got and continue to get our warp yarn. And we had, so warp is the vertical threads. That's how you set your loom up. Mm -hmm. And that has always come from Jagger Brothers mill. And the weft, the what you fill the horizontal uh, axis, is uh, comes from Green Mountain Spinnery for that for those particular blankets. Okay. So that continues. That's those relationships are both over thirty years old. Wow. And um, those are one in Vermont and one in, in Maine. So, so yeah, they
0: weren't they weren't dying yet. They, they weren't dying making.
1: yet, but then they sort of I guess you could say they got a little bored of just having because the colors really then are are kind of off white. Right. Most sheep, right? And then there's the black sheep of the family produces a, a brown or dark brown fleece or a light brown fleece. And that's called sort of morret, that color. Okay. So then you can take that and you can uh, spin that up and you can make a brown blanket. Mm-hmm. You can make a white blanket or you can mix the two and make a gray. Mm-hmm. So they only had w- white, let's call it gray, mm-hmm. and brown. Mm-hmm. So it just got a little boring, I think. And okay, sure. so then they said, well, we should add some color. Let's learn how to dye with natural plant dyes. And so that was Caroline's uh, piece. She learned how to do that dyeing, and John mm-hmm. was more on the weaving end of things. And um, so I started making you know, they, a couple of different colors using indigo, which is from the indigo plant, and cochineal, which is a little bug shell, kind of a cousin of the ladybug, if you can imagine that that produces a, a red, mm-hmm. a matter root that produces an orange. These are dyes that have been used forever. If you go into a museum and look at their textile collection, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. single color in the world that was created before the 1850s, that's when they first started to synthetically create, indigo actually was the first color. Every single color before that, so for all of humanity, was made in the way that that we made our colors then, mm-hmm. which is with a natural substance, uh, and a mordant, which is a has to have a little metal in it that will allow. So that's something you soak the yarn in, and then you're able to dye it, and the dye goes into the wool yarn instead of staying on the surface. Then, okay. So that's what we started with, and um, we continue to do that as well, mm-hmm. as well as other things. But that's the, the 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 basic what you know in the business world we call the bullseye of what we do, right? Right. That's the same for the last 32 years.
0: Right. So they expanded it to some color. Yeah. Um, you know, so if they started in 92, maybe we're in the mid nineties now or exactly. something. Okay.
1: Exactly. Then they, <laughs> what happened was that um, they had some uh, illness that prevented them from continuing. Mm-hmm. And so they reached out actually to my brother, Tom, who knew them, who had gone to the Island and bought some blankets and kind of befriended them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom got in touch with us and, we started to think about it and we had, you know, at that point had both finished with the Walder School and we're doing, my wife was working for the University of Virginia and I was doing blacksmithing and carpentry and that sort of thing. And so it was like, hmm, well, let's check this out. Yeah. And uh, we went up a couple of times and decided that this was a good thing to do. And uh, at first, uh, before my wife was directing the Walder School in Rockport, she was our dyer and our bookkeeper right and i was doing the weaving um and selling and uh things like that so it was uh we apprenticed with them for about 6 months okay in the meantime we were um renovating this uh 200-year-old farmhouse and uh as a uh Apartment for ourselves upstairs and downstairs a showroom. And then we added on a weaving studio and finishing room. So the place we do the stitching. Okay. And we had a little dye house on what had been a porch. And that was 2004. And we, uh, I remember that well. We moved those looms. We would take them all apart. Right. Take them over on the ferry. Mm -hmm. Put them in trucks and take them down to Northport and set the whole thing up. And um, that was a lot.
0: Are these big metal contraptions or wooden or how? Yeah,
1: (laughs) well, they're mostly wood, actually. So they're made by a company called AVL. They're uh, out of Chico, California. Mm -hmm. And they were, excuse me, developed by uh, three engineers, uh, what I understand their story to be, whose uh, spouses were all hand weavers. And they could see that hand weaving uh, traditionally leads to a lot of repetitive stress injuries if you do it a lot. Right. So they said, "Well, how could we develop a loom that you could do production hand weaving on?" Right. And so they created these looms that have certain features. It's still hand weaving. It's one person on one loom, mm-hmm. sending the shuttle across one, you know, sort of one at a time. And um, but there are some features that, for instance, the beater bar, the thing that you kind of beat the the weft yarn mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. is on ball bearings, so it runs very easily. Mm. And instead of um, throwing by hand a shuttle across, which you can't do on a wide loom, of course, in, in, unless you're about seven and a half feet tall or something, um, you have a, a way to, with a piston and a stick, you have a way to sort of hit a button and it shoots it across. And you watch it go across and you mm-hmm. beat it, if it's all as well, and then you do it again. Right. So there are other features that allow... Um, you to do production hand weaving and not have injuries. And we've we've been pretty fortunate to, you know, have a fairly injury-free workforce over the years. Right. Yeah.
0: So you moved to Northport, you get everything over there. Mm-hmm. How many, is it just you and your wife at this point? or
1: No, we've always had employees. Okay. Um, we started out with um, probably four employees at that point. Um, did
0: they have to move off the island too? Well, we offered
1: to have them actually to move, have them move with us, mm-hmm. but the people who were working there then um, didn't uh, didn't want to leave uh, the island.
0: I would I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I taught them. My wife did the dying, mm-hmm. uh, Jody, and I did the weaving and taught our employees how to weave. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the stitchers. We um, hired stitchers, and the stitching is pretty straightforward. Okay. Um, And we still have one of those stitchers who works with us, Wow! actually, uh, who was maybe the fifth employee. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So, yeah. That's cool. Um, So, yeah, you've got into it uh, a few times. You know, that was 2004. Um, I guess, where are you today? Like, how many people do you have today on your team? Yeah,
1: we have between Mm -hmm. 20 and 25 employees now. Um, And obviously, production workers, weavers, Mm -hmm. dyers. And finishers, you know, people who actually take the raw blanket and make it into a finished product. Wow. Um, salespeople.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have uh, someone who runs our website, so a webmaster. We have a photographer. You know, these are not full-time employees, of course. Sure. But they're long-time employees. Yeah. Um, so our photographer, for instance, has been with us for nine or ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a part-time blueberry farmer. Uh, cool. So yeah, so that you know that gives you it's a little picture Maine. of, of yeah. How, yeah, how you work it in Maine, yeah. um, and then someone who does our online marketing, and you know, like that. So it's a it's a broad pool, and then our salespeople very often are also weavers. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our 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 shipper can weave and 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 can. Um, also, do dying, right? Uh, and does some of the design work for us, just as an example, you know. Cool. So it's uh, that kind of cross training is really important in a yeah. small business. It is where you're making stuff because yeah. you've got to just sort of go, you know, to where the need is, right? Uh, and a lot of it is, um, and I really credit. I mean, I, ha- I have two business partners. One is Justin Maser, who is our CFO and does a lot in operations. And he is really fantastic with anything that's data driven which is definitely not my cup of tea <laughs> uh, so I really appreciate the difference you know sort of point of view that he brings and then my other partner is uh, Michelle Orne and she is uh, fantastic mm-hmm. in the design realm and in uh, both in products and we do you know a lot of that together but mm-hmm. uh, she's a fantastic designer but even more so, the look of the website and the photography. So Which when, is beautiful, yes. Well, thank you. When you have a, you know, our main way of selling is through our website. So mm-hmm. we have two stores, but our website is super important to us. Yeah. And you have to have great imagery. When you sell products, you know, at, particularly at the higher end, and mm-hmm. um, you're trying to convey a sense for how they feel, you know, the whole gestalt of it, not just, that, you know, again, that it's a blanket, that's this, you know, these dimensions or something.
0: Like a nostalgia. You gotta have a beautiful
1: photograph, Mm -hmm. image. And so she works with our long-term photographer, Doug Mott, who's fantastic. and they are they. It's it's wonderful to watch them work together. Actually, because it's a whole product. When you do a photo shoot, it's like doing a small movie. It's yes. not moving images necessarily, but mm-hmm. you're, it's a production, and you've got to bring in stylists and models. If we're using models, it's a and lot. it really is a lot. You, you're well aware, I'm mm-hmm. sure.
0: So, but it's really cool to watch them. Um, I love like my, my wife's our stylist, and then we yeah. get um, you know one of these talented photographers mm-hmm. and. Just, Basically, I get a big idea guy like you. It's like, okay, we need to... And I don't have a checklist necessarily. Yeah. I do make one. I should use it more. But we're yeah. just like uh. <laughs> get to them to this spot and then let those two do their thing. Yeah. Get the best thing out of this area. But we need to make sure we get this. Right. But, um, yes. No, it uh, yes, it, it is quite something. Yeah. My, um,
1: my management style is very much like that. I am not a micromanager. Mm-hmm. So my belief is to get good people in make sure they have the tool, whatever tools they might need or Mm -hmm. understanding and let them do their thing. Uh, So that's not everyone's way. I I, I do recognize that. But
0: Are all your makers still right there in Northport? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, we need to have that control. Now we do, uh, for instance, we make a line of products where we uh, do the dyeing Mm -hmm. and um, we send it to a mill in Maine. And they do the weaving, and they have industrial looms, so they're able to do it. Uh, you know, send that weft across way quicker than we can. Right. And so that's a very different product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as fine or 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 supple or or subtle. Let's call it uh, in design wise. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful though. They're they're sort of thicker, chunkier, um, and they're finished very differently. Um, but we're able to get a, a less expensive price on right. that. And it's a different product, but has you know, a lot of integrity for what it is. Sure. So we've tried to, um, you know, expand in that way. So some products we have, we do a piece of it like that. Uh, We also now sell linen, uh, so linen bedding. uh, So sheets and pillowcases and duvets and duvet covers and Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And that's uh, French linen that's made in the U.S. So we have, you know, that element of control and that element of onshoring in that way. Um, But we don't do any of the making on that. We, you know, so, um, but that's a really nice compliment to our blankets. Right. And our customers have, you know, really appreciated our bringing those on.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you're just seeking out quality and Mm -hmm. listening and um, we need to do more of that ourselves. So um, I can ask you whenever we get there to... Mm -hmm. How you go about that um, but yeah tell us a little more like the blankets I think you you've walked us through a little bit a couple of times um, but like the blanket journey yeah. you know the starting just making the blanket you know just take give us give us a good visual of that best you can sure um,
1: so we start as I said with uh, sourcing the fleece from one of our two farms that we use for I'll just talk about this summer weight blanket or lightweight blanket okay um, we uh, send that to the Green Mountain Spinnery they spin what's called a woolen spun yarn so there's different ways to spin fleece into yarn okay and the woolen spun is um it has the hair sort of stick up in a woolen spun a little bit mm-hmm. if you can imagine so if you would look under a microscope at wool yarn you know you'd see all sorts of hair sometimes they're running all parallel that's called a worsted spun and sometimes they're more going every which way okay that's called a woolen spun And the woolen spun has got more of a rustic quality to it, but also those hairs wick moisture away from your body. So they're like little wicking agents. That's why if you sleep under a wool blanket, you don't feel damp when you wake up in the morning as opposed to like, let's say, a down uh, comforter. Mm -hmm. That is warm and cozy, but it's... um, I I think the experience is that... You feel a little musty when you wake up. Can't breathe. Yeah, Yeah. it's not. It doesn't breathe. Yeah. So the duvets we sell, for instance, just as an aside, are wool batting. I see. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but the blanket to go back to that uh, is spun at Green Mountain. This organic spin, so they wash out. They use organic soap to wash out much of the lanolin, but leave a little bit in. Mm -hmm. They then what is lanolin? Oh, good question. I shouldn't assume everyone knows. (laughs) Lanolin is natural grease that sheep uh, produce. Okay, and it is why um, you can wear wool a great thing to wear in a rainstorm because it repels moisture. Uh, it also breathes. I see. So the uh, lanolin is, um, you know, if you just touch a fleece, a, a sheep, you 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 know, it's almost like a like a therapy for your hands. You'll wow. and, and lots of ointments and creams have lanolin in them mm-hmm. because they have it has a restorative power for human skin. Wow. But you can't. It's too greasy to take that fleece and spin it as is. Okay. It's also dirty because sheep. Let's face it, they're right. animals, right? Yeah. So uh, they're not. They're not neat animals. So they get lots of things in there in their okay. fleece. Sure. Um, some of our the fleece that we purchase, the sheep wear little jackets actually to keep some of that chaff out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it goes. Yeah. So so Green Mountain spins it up. Uh, and scours it organically and spins it on these old uh, spinning machines, let's call them, that um, allow the the yarn to be a little thick, a little thin. So it looks almost like hand spun or hand spun mm-hmm. yarn. And that just gives it not only a nice look and a more authentic feel, but it's actually, um, you can spin yarn very, very thinly okay. that way. And only a hand loom it's going to take that beautiful thin yarn and send it across because an industrial loom cannot do something that with a yarn that's that delicate break, it'll yeah. break yeah so it's our blankets consequently have this beautiful hand or drape to them so they just flow really nicely yeah, they do um, thicker blankets are made very differently and they're, if you think of an army surplus blanket as an extreme they're packed so tightly that they are um, they don't have a nice hand to them, right and usually they're made with fleece that is very coarse. Mm-hmm. so our fleece is fine that we send to get spun. So it comes to us, and we then, as I said, either if it's going to be just a white blanket, mm-hmm. but um, very few of our products are just have completely no dyed yarn in them, so some of it's going to get dyed, and we dye that in this natural dye process for those products. And um, then it just dries, air dries, mm-hmm. and then it gets put onto a shuttle. So all of the yarn that's gonna go across has to be wound onto a bobbin.
2: Okay,
1: Bobbin goes in a shuttle, shuttle goes into the loom, shuttle goes across and feeds out the yarn as it's crossing over right. the warp yarn, if you can picture that. Mm-hmm. The warp yarn is the vertical. Um, the warp yarn is the vertical, correct?
0: Shoot it across and.
1: Yeah. Sh- now, if you can imagine, most people when they were younger had potholder kits. You so you had a frame. Okay. That's your loom. You stretched some of those, uh, some of that cotton, those cotton pieces, ac- you know, vertically across. Mm-hmm. That's your warp. You took other pieces like that and you went over and under and over and under, and you then, you know, sort of pushed it down. Mm -hmm. That's your weft, and you're beating that weft to sort of pack it in a little bit. And you do it again. Well, these machines do the exact same thing, only more efficiently. Okay. So that's the basic, that's, you know, and then we go over, over, under, instead of over, under, over, under, like you did with your potholder, let's say. Okay. And that creates, um, you know, so the structure, that's the structure, how, you know, we we have... um, a number of harnesses that some warp yarn goes up, some stays down, and then you shoot it across. Mm-hmm. So how many go up and how many stay down? That's your structure. Okay. So there's lots of different structures you can do. And, um, you know, there are people who go to school just just to understand wow. all the different structures and all the different materials you can use for warp and weft. Yeah. So it's quite complicated, of course. Right. Um, we do, you know, I, I actually wrote a, journal piece on this, I uh, entitle it, it's hard to do simple. Mm-hmm. So if you talk, I would imagine to a uh, an apple farmer or orchardist who raises organic apples, they would tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do this simple thing, which is just like let apples grow, right? right. You think it's so simple. Yeah. Well, it's not. In our society, it's very hard to do simple.
0: It takes effort for sure.
1: You've got to go across the grain. And there's more what,
0: than one aspect.
1: Right. And yeah. then you have to find products, in our case, that are organic or that are natural. Mm-hmm. You've got to go against the grain because we're not making the cheapest possible product. And let's face it, most people are looking to buy a commodity, right? They want to just get something inexpensive. Right. So you've got to, if you want to do simple, you've got to be really committed, I don't mean that in the pejorative sense, as yeah. in committing you to an institution or anything. But I mean, you have to be committed to that act, and that has a lot of um, you know roadblocks that get right. put up. So you got to just work through those and and um, love what you do. Ultimately, it comes down to loving it because man, you you've got to get up every morning, go into work, yeah, mo- and in. Part of my job is to motivate everyone at the company yeah. and help them see what's the, why are we doing this? What's the vision? We've been doing it now for, you know, the company's been in existence for over 30 years. We've been doing this in Northport for 20 years. Why are we doing this? You know, right. and people, it's easy to lose your way. So you need someone, I believe, that is like holding that vision and carrying it through. Why are we doing this thing over here? I thought we were doing this thing. Well, here's how it's related and here's how, how it helps our mission to go forward. Right. So
0: so why why are you doing it?
1: We're doing it because we, I'll just speak for myself. Yeah. I want to create beautiful things in the world that are have a functional purpose, but also are going to be here long after I'm gone. Mm. And are going to allow whoever comes into contact with that a feeling that there's something here that's going to outlive me and that's in a certain sense... The process of making that product, in our case, blankets, is inside that blanket. So you're helping that process to continue. What we're doing is, a, is an ancient craft. I mean, there's, for as long as there have been people who have settled in communities, someone's been weaving. Right. In Maine, in 1840, half the households owned a loom. Wow. So in a place like Maine, it's always been a part of who we are. Um, so in the native peoples who lived here before the Europeans, they also had to weave. They probably used a backstrap loom, which was just providing tension by tying your warp to a tree and around your back. Right. And so, um, obviously there are native (laughs) folks who could speak, you know, more informed than I can about that. But my point is that that's why, that's what gets me up in the morning. Cool. You know, simply put, I'm making a beautiful thing that people love. Mm -hmm. And we have a very tight relationship with many of our customers. I mean, they've... Not once, but more than once, our blanket has been used as a funeral shroud for people Mm -hmm. because they want to send either the person who's deceased, express an interest, or... Their loved ones said this is how they'd want to go out, wrapped in a Swans Island blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, innumerable wedding gifts we do in hand embroidery, yeah. baby, you know, blankets to mark that time and be in that, right. that household forever. So that's an awesome responsibility and also something I find inspiring.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I, the whole time you've been talking, spent the founders, you, your team, like I've just been in here, passion. You couldn't do that if you weren't dedicated and passionate about what you're doing. Exactly. And then the other thing, just as you're explaining that, which is very inspiring, I just have this, like, maybe it's a tagline, I don't know, but, um, like, the story lives on. Like, your blanket, the story of making this and this craft is living through the blankets as they get passed yes. down and everything else. It's exactly. all like this. Yeah. Um, I would imagine
1: know. it's how furniture builders feel, too. Like, mm-hmm. the idea that this chair... Not only is the current owner going to sit in it, yeah, but their their grandchildren. And we actually have a little card that we include. We we make a can a linen bag with aromatic cedar planks built into it mm-hmm. uh, for moth protection for for our wool blankets. And there's a little pocket, and in that pocket is a little card, and there's a place for who bought it, and then who it's getting handed down to. And of course, you think of the word heirloom, right? It's something made on a loom for your heirs. And that's definitely, you know, a good Perfect. description of what we're doing. Yes. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. <laughs> I had, uh, you know, about materials. You've gone over them quite a bit. Is there anything else, um, you know, you we, we want to mention on materials, that the materials you use? Yeah. Any, anything to learn? Um, any other, you know, wool. Wool is your main, and, and yeah. you've explained that. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other materials that you might want to mention? or
1: Well, um <clears throat> We're looking at building some products out of alpaca right now, which is you know another animal fiber, so not far from what we're doing mm-hmm. um, we've had some yarns before that had some alpaca in them so we're we're looking at that um, we um, you know we really understand best wool yeah we've also worked with u uh, s grown organic cotton um, we're actually uh, do some blankets for the hospitality industry um, and that is much Better done out of cotton than out of wool because you know a hotel needs to be able to launder, right? And it doesn't really want to dry clean or send their product back to us, for instance, for for cleaning. Um, wool doesn't need to get washed that often because it does repel grease and dirt. But of course, everything, every textile, at some point yeah. needs to get washed. So we we do work with you know that sort of cotton, high quality cotton. Um, we uh, recently. Uh, designed and had, knit, we, we don't have knitting looms, but we work with some uh, US producers who do have knitting looms. And we recently made um, a few products that had a recycled plastic yarn in them, hmm. as well as cotton. But it really, you know, I mean, so the good thing about that is you're keeping some plastic out of the landfill. Right. The other part of that equation is you're weaving with plastic. So these were actually knit. So it's, you know, I, I don't know what to think about that. You know, that it's one yeah. of those things where, you know, you're, you've, you've got to scale, right? Is that better?
0: Well, I think that, I mean, me personally, you know, if you think it's a quality product— and right. it's got some use. Yeah. And what we're talking about, about a lot of this is if we're authentic and just tell people exactly what it is, they can make right. their own decision. Right. Right? It's just, hey, this is, you know, if you love this blanket, this is what it's made out of. Right. I guess you decide, right? And yeah. The, the well, people will tell you if they buy it or well, not. Well,
1: that, that is true. But I also have to be able to feel like we can stand behind it. For sure. You know, so... Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, it's a... um you know, I, I, I think it's ultimately a good thing because we, as a society, have to deal with all of the waste that we create, and the textile industry is terrible about the waste it creates. Mm-hmm. At Swan's Island, we we uh, compost uh, cutoffs, you know, like yarns that at the end of a run that, um, what are we going to do with them? You know, there's, they're too short to do anything with, right. so we send that to local place to compost. We obviously recycle all of our cardboard and so on, um, but we have almost no waste. Mm-hmm. So we will take cutoffs and stitch them together to make new products, and then sort of show the stitching on the back, much like a dovetail joint on a drawer is kind of cool. You see, oh, oh look cool. how that's joined. That's neat. We like to also show, in these particular products, this upcycled mm-hmm. thing. Uh, we do a lot of upcycling, actually. Mm-hmm. So. Because it's like we have these things and we're creative and we can, what can we do with these? And right. then let's tell the story and, you know, make sure they hold together really well in this case. Because it's, a, you know, it's like three or four strips of cloth you're taking and stitching it together to make a throw blanket, let's say. Right. So it has to function well. It has to hold together well. Right. And then it's like, okay, you know, this is this is a good product and it has this story behind it. Uh, and the design is really different because we're piecing together different colors and so on mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so anyway that's just you know that's the kind of thing that is to go back to the the recycled plastic yarn right. is that a is that a way we want to evolve mm-hmm. you know and I mean I never 20 years ago no way now things are different mm-hmm. you know it's like we're we're deep into this in you know, sort of environmental crisis we all find ourselves in, mm-hmm. and all I can do is my little piece, really. You know, I, yeah. I compost at home, I recycle. You know, it's like those things are important to me to do. And at work, it's the same thing. It's like what action? I, what action am I going to take? Right. That's I'm going to contribute. I hope to make things better, not add to you know the problem that we have. Mm-hmm. So, I think that fits into that category.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway. I, I agree. Yeah, no. Before we get off the blanket, you know, I yep. mean, this all, you know, we'll never totally get off the blankets. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> about Swan's <laughs> Island, but uh, nothing. We want to. Yeah. Um. I love them. I want to. Uh, Thank you. Uh, have you here? if <laughs> I did not. Yeah. Um. The oh, I don't think we. We were going through the loom, but I just thought, like, how do you finish the blanket? So yeah, you've got good. it all... You know, I am just, I was just thinking, how do we tie in the blanket? How yeah. do we finish it and, yeah. and put the... Your logo beautiful how you put it in there. Yeah. Um, well, the logo
1: on the blanket we're talking about is actually woven right into it. Oh. So one of the th- reasons we do that is mm-hmm. because it's a seal of authenticity. Only a hand loom can put what's called an overweave in right. there. Right. So that is, and it also um, has become kind of our trademark. You know those um, four squares and the and the rectangle. So, um, but what happens is once the we might weave maybe three to five units on the loom, uh, and every uh, blanket begins and ends with silk that we weave in. So silk is extraordinarily strong. Um, it's a good way to bind that blanket off. And the edges, one of the re- things you get also with a handwoven product is the edges are called the selvage ends. So okay. it's a very elegant way to end that edge of the blanket. And it, uh, other products have to be stitched over. Okay. And, you know, it's a, just not as elegant and refined a way to so finish. So they're not the
0: like, I don't have all my, you know, I don't know all the terms. They're not just like, how do you tie it? You know, I just see you keep putting this material yeah. in. How is the it, end like fold it over and sewed? Yeah, or yeah exactly. Is it, so
1: you weave in silk, okay, and then it gets cut off, and you then stitch that silk over, mm-hmm. um, okay. and that's a binding. And the edges are very strong mm-hmm. because of the way we we do a slightly different weave on the very edges. So we never get a product back that's ripped, for instance, even wow. though it's a very fine yarn. Right,
0: that's impressive. <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, then it goes upstairs and they do the picking i described earlier if there's chaff in that product it needs to be hand picked out that can that can take anywhere from an hour to 3 hours just that process actually wow. believe it or not so we always try to have as clean a fleece as possible because you know that's a very laborious task
0: chaff is hay or who knows what sticks all the, exactly <laughs> all the
1: stuff that animals get into okay um so then um the way we wash those products is we soak them in a uh, upright washing machine, a top loader, Mm -hmm. and spin them out. So we soak them in an organic soap Mm -hmm. and spin them out. And you can't agitate wool. It'll become felt. So... Wow. Yeah. So you don't want... I mean, we sometimes play around with that with different products. But for our blankets, we want the weave that we do to be what the customer experiences. So it's called an open weave, what we do. So if you look at like upholstery fabric, for instance, that's all closed up.
2: Okay.
1: It's like if you held it up to light to to the window, for instance, you really can't see light to it or not much. You okay. hold our blanket up to a, a window and you're going to see you're going to see light come through it because it's an open weave. That allows for the best hand. So the most elegant drape. It's just feels great to hold our product in your hand. Okay. For that reason. I agree. And it lay, and it just, you know, if you kind of, you're making the bed, which happens to be one of my tasks at home every morning, and you, you know, sort of ripple that blanket across to, you know, to make your bed, and you see it just sort of floats in the air a little bit, like wings almost. Um, And then when you sleep under it, it's very light. And you'd think that can't be warm, but it actually is incredibly warm because of that, it's breathable. And it also wicks this moisture away. In the wicking process, so wicking is when it just sort of takes that—you know, you're 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 sweating at night, or you, you're you're expiring, not expiring, I hope—you're <laughs> 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 um, sweating a little bit, and this will be absorbed into the wool. Yeah. In that absorption process, a little bit of heat is created. So that's kind of the oh, wow. secret. Of why wool is so comfortable to sleep under? Because you can have a very lightweight blanket and mm-hmm. still be warm. Wow! And you know, in Maine, let's face it, especially this summer, you know, you need some you need some warmth on there. Our our nights are cool, even in even in the summer. Yeah. So, uh, and in the winter, we have the heavier or winter weight blanket we call it, and that is a heavier product, but mm-hmm. also light for what it is. Yeah. So that's the uh, and in the so they're doing going back to finishing. Um, so they're stitching over, they're picking out chaff if they need to. They're washing, so they just do the soak and then spin out. And then they, there used to be something people had in the family that they would store away called lace curtain stretchers. When people had lace curtains, they needed a way to wash them. And they put these large frames out in the yard and mm-hmm. wash them once a year. And then they'd block them out. And the, these lace curtain stretchers are just like carpet tacks in a way. They're like pieces of wood with little nails sticking up. Okay. So we use that to block out our blankets, and so we every blanket air dries up in our finishing room, and then it gets pressed, and the bag is made to put them in. Uh, any imperfections are found if there are some, and they're remedied, and then it's ready to sell.
0: Wow, that's a lot. Boy, that's is a, it. Co- a quality <laughs> product. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have that passion. And uh, yes, no, that's that's so beautiful to to hear. Um, so take me through, I I was looking at your journal a little bit. Our Mm -hmm. journal is great. Thank Uh, you. Anybody, you know, wants to know about Bain or Swan's Island or Mm -hmm. just, just everything we're talking about. The journal really is well done. Um, one of the prompts on there was, uh, keeping it simple. You talked about how Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep things simple. What, you know, just real quick on that article, what, what stood out to you? I, I, uh, Mm -hmm. um, enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just also to give a shout out to my my business partner, partner Michelle, and um, someone else who works with us, Amy Files. Um, so when we started doing that journal, I, I, I've written them. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I guess that's all done. But the, the level that they take that to, uh, they do some editing of my writing, which mm-hmm. is fine, but also how well that's put together. That's Michelle and, and, and Amy.
0: Yeah, that doesn't just happen. It
1: doesn't just happen. And for me, it's like, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, the, the detail of that, I'm not well suited to, mm-hmm. but they really are. And boy, did they dig in. And in the end, it took a long time to get that journal together. But I in know. the end, wow, I'm so impressed still. Yeah. Um, So I think it's just that commitment. You know, it's so easy to cut a corner. Mm-hmm it's so easy to especially over years to say is it is it that important to do make this blanket this way couldn't we do it this other way couldn't right. we do you know do something else with it and so it's not only hard for the reasons i said to do simple it's also hard within oneself to maintain a long-term commitment to something the vicissitudes of the ups and downs of the business cycle mm-hmm. you know employees coming and going and you know people you know having very different opinions than what you might i, I don't own the company 100 percent, so we have a board you know and so they have input on it um so it's also hard to just in yourself to maintain that commitment and not say well sure we could why don't we just do it that way now? Right.
0: Nobody will ever know. Or exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So yeah. it's, um, you know, without being rigid, because you know, I certainly don't want to be the old man in the, you know there saying no, 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 we can't do it that way. You know, so it's finding yes. what how you evolve while maintaining your integrity. That's the trick. Mm. You know, and I'm much more interested in that than making a gazillion dollars.
0: I love it. So. Um, Another thing that stood out to me, handmade for life. Mm. Hmm. Maybe I guess you, maybe you're just talking about that, but that was another journal article that I thought was neat.
1: Yeah. Well, we do look at these. I mean, you know, sometimes I think, I wish we made something expendable so people would have to buy it again and again, you know. (laughs) Um, And uh, actually, I have to say that we went into making uh, knitwear apparel. Mm Mm-hmm. With the idea that okay people like new colors and new styles and right. this is something that we might get repeat customers on and we do have repeat lots of repeat customers because mm-hmm. they have more than one bed for instance you know for a blanket or right. they might have more than one home um, or they move or you know they give a gift so but it's not um, you know a, a wearable is something that you know, you you may well want to It's not like
0: a candle. It's not burning down and then you got to buy a new one. Right. Yeah. Right. It's lasting a long time.
1: So, but we want Mm. our core product to be something that, you you know, again, it's not inexpensive. Mm -hmm. So, but what you do get is something that we believe will last generations and generations. And so, and because we can, you know, when you get something that's mass produced... It's in the general, it is what it is. In the specific, it might not be that great because no one's paying attention to each unit, let's call it. Right. We're paying attention to each and every unit. So it's almost like each blanket is its own thing as opposed to... A thousand units of something is it's is you know a, a lot of you know shirts. Let's call it. You know mm-hmm. all those shirts maybe comes in a un- in a box of a thousand of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, each one can't be perfect, you know, in, in its way, right? I mean, it might be some of them. Some of them might have some problems. Who knows? Ours is like one lot equals one blanket, and that's going to be perfect as we define perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So then. Early on, we realized that, well, something might happen. Let's say your dog bites your blanket, or let's say moths put holes in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or let's say you don't want to use a dry cleaner because you don't want those chemicals applied. Well, what are we going to do about that? Well, so we started an organic cleaning service in what we call Blanket Hospital. So I beco- love that term. Yeah, we've become <laughs> very skilled at repairing things. And we'll get back blankets that were made 30 years ago. You know, and it has a moth damage in it, let's say, or okay. something did happen to it um, from an animal or whatnot. So, um, yeah, so we're able to be there and feel like, you know, we'll be long after I'm gone, hopefully, still in business and still repairing blankets that were made 30, 50, 70 years prior so that you can feel... And sometimes. You know, if, if I remember this happened recently, actually. We had someone who had, I think it was animal problem. Cat, dog, something like that. Yeah. And we had to patch it. Usually we can sort of weave it back by hand, but we had, it was too big a hole. So we got in touch with them and said, well, the only way you can really fix this is to patch it. And they mm-hmm. said, great, that just adds to the story. Yeah. That's the time that, you know, whatever happened, and then Swan's Island repaired it. And now that's, you know, it's, a, a marker for us so yeah. cool
0: yeah so not only do you hand make them and their quality but you also provide services that yes can extend keep the life going exactly yeah mm-hmm. um now I did, I did want to talk about the what was voted maine's most iconic photo um, <laughs> that uh that seems to be so in sync with yeah. with swan's island yeah um so we I guess we could talk about the photo a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm curious, you know, how that ended up <clears throat> being a part of, yeah. of what you do too. I mean, I, I see the very practical, like, yeah, but, but like how, how, that.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Peter Ralston's photo, mm-hmm. um, is, um, well, first of all, Peter's a, a friend and a great guy okay. and quite the raconteur. So if, uh, you wouldn't get him out of here less than five hours. I think <laughs> he's got so many great stories and he's such a, really an amazing person and mm-hmm. a great artist. So we know he was a good friend of my brother Tom's and then I got to know him and-
0: um, So this came after you bought the business? Yes, okay. exactly. Yep.
1: So we uh, just asked him when we were, uh, actually it was, we were designing, I think this is when it happened, um, the box that our hand-woven throws come in, mm-hmm. which is a linen covered box that a company in Massachusetts makes for us and it has a hinge top and on the inside of that top, Is Peter's image, Hmm. and so when we were designing that box, you know, we of course knew that image and knew Peter, and it was like, oh, Peter, how would you feel if we used your your photo for you know for attribution? And um, he said yes, and we said, what can we give you in exchange? And he said, how about a winter blanket? We said, great. Hmm. You know, five or eight years later, he finally came in for that winter blanket. Um, But yeah, so we've. Used that ever since, and we send people to. He has a you know beautiful store in um, Rockport Village, mm. um, and he sold you know that image and many other images. Um, but he has, yeah, I think he's really known for that. But there's so many things that he does do, right? But that one is the. Um, so Peter grew up in Chads Ford, um, right next door to the Wyeths. Okay, and he's the same age as the offspring of Andrew and Mm -hmm. Betsy Wyeth, um, Jamie, and um, I can't think of the other- I can't remember either. uh, I know Jamie. uh, Yeah. yeah. And so um, he, um, that photo is, so Betsy Wyeth and Andrew Wyeth own, I think they still do, Allen Island. Yes, they do. And so Betsy liked to have sheep on that island. And sheep are great on an island because they keep the underbrush down. Right there were a lot of sheep raised. There's a lot of islands out here, sheep island, ram island, and so on. And um, so it was a great place to raise sheep. But um, they were being, uh, Peter obviously knows the story much better than I do, but I believe they were being either taken to or from that island to yeah. be shorn. Actually, I think in the in the picture, they're shorn. So they, I guess they were going back to the island and Peter was following in a, in a boat and snapped that picture. And uh, we actually had, there's a little girl on the boat and she came into the shop the other day, uh, maybe last year. Wow! And said, "That's me in that picture," oh, you know, cool. and because wow. we have a big blown up one in in the Camden store. Yeah. Uh, and now she's you know an adult, and uh, so it's there's something about the way the boat is a little precarious, you know, being being taken uh, towed by that lobster boat, mm-hmm. and the sheep are all sort of, you know, sheep don't like to be contained like that. I don't right. think, and 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 you know they're yeah. not naturally. You know, meant to be on water. So there's something about that that, to me anyway, speaks about the, you know, it's tough to live in Maine in a way, right? We're right close. That's what I love about it. It's like Mm -hmm. it's very elemental here. Mm -hmm. You've got granite here and salt and the weather can be challenging
0: Mm -hmm. for some
1: people. Um, You've got, you know, mountains to climb, ski slopes to be on, lots of things to-
0: Ledges to dodge. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Rough roads, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what Maine is about to me anyway. Yeah. And I think that's embedded in that picture. I agree, yeah. And also, of course, our agricultural past and present, mm-hmm. you know, we do a lot right in Maine stills, you know, there's the whole organic farmers movement and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: I think I, I I did stop in to Peter and kind of asked him that story one day mm-hmm. and I I can't recall at all. Yeah. The... I did notice when I was looking at it the other day, the the dory he was towing, it says post in it. And I'm pretty sure... So that's Matinic Island. So I'm I was, I'm was a lobsterman. So my territory, we fish up against Matinic. Oh, really? I thought he told me that was Matinic, and they were taking it from Allen one way or the other. I okay. can't remember. That could be Allen Island or it's Matinic, but... And that might be buzzy he's a local ground fisherman towing that I I, I can't remember oh, interesting. I quote it but uh, yeah <clears throat> but I was like oh wow that's that's right where we are yeah it's it's a that's a really neat thing and I just yeah. a small connection I had yeah well you know um, in
1: Maine there's only a half a degree of separation <laughs> most places there's six degrees of separation apparently but in Maine it, you know you don't need to scratch the surface too much to find someone you know in common yeah so it's you know there's only one point two million people in the whole state,, That's true. so
0: it's like yeah, yeah. no it's it's really neat um, so what I, I what I love to do too is just ask people what is you know something I normally do just what does quality mean to you mm. um.
1: well i it, it's really important to me that the things in my life are well made mm-hmm. and I'd rather have fewer things but of higher quality, so that goes from. A corkscrew, like, you know, we drink wine on the weekend with a nice dinner, and I want that corkscrew to work really well. Mm. I don't want a lousy corkscrew, you know, that I throw out after a year because it's it's failed to do its mission in life. Um, and when I build things, so I like to renovate places, and I do, um, you know, in my spare time, I do make furniture, and and I... Just gotten to the point where I don't care how long it takes. And I want to use good materials and I want the Mm -hmm. right tool and I want it to function properly. So it's more important that if I hang a door, that it swings the right way, you know, properly, Mm -hmm. than that I get it done in half the time. So, or that I use a cheap, you know, contractor grade hinge. And I don't want to do that. And I want the things to. Someone has really thought about the design and the color, but also the functionality. Like how does this thing work? What purpose does it serve? Why is it in existence? Mm -hmm. Um and I get it, there's a you know, we can't on a practical level have everything be just perfect. But so Okay, and I understand that price is a is a thing. I, right, I, I, it is for me too. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I get all that. So it's this is an an ideal, yeah. you know, and to the degree I can bring that ideal into reality, that's quality. That is quality, and it's something that's going to last. And you know, when I am no longer here, I want my kids to be looking through my stuff and say, "Wow." Dan had some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: Wow. I don't know what to say besides to all that except for amen. I mean, that is, you you—you nailed it. Man. Um, I mean, uh, I'm just going to copy that and I talk about it. That was fantastic. Um, uh, and just for kind of one last thing I like to ask everybody too is, out of those things, maybe it's a corkscrew, do you have a favorite mm. item mm. At, at home or at work? Is something maybe you kind of use could be daily or just, you know, sometimes you have, do you have a favorite thing mm. um, that, hmm. that or something that just stands out to you?
1: Well, that's a, wow. Um, well, the thing, I don't know if it's my favorite, but one thing that just popped into my head when you said that is mm-hmm. I do have a wood stove and it's a beautiful enamelized um, cast iron stove made by uh, Vermont, uh, that company out of Vermont. Um, Yeah,
0: is it Vermont?
1: Vermont Castings.
0: Vermont Castings, yeah.
1: And it's, I mean, I'm no expert at wood stoves at all, so someone who is might say, what? But all I know is that this stove, it's centrally located in our house. Mm -hmm. It heats really well. It has glass doors. Mm -hmm. So as long as they're clean, I can see the fire. And it's, um, you know, it's we've had it for quite a few years. It's still looking pretty good because it's enamelized. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you can clean it and have it really look sharp. Mm-hmm. And it throws out a lot of heat. And I just, even though it's a lot of work to do the wood, you know, we and I don't split my own wood. I get it delivered, but mm-hmm. it's got to get stacked and it's got to get brought into the back porch and, you know, so on and so forth. You move it a lot. Right. Um, I still... Really appreciate that thing um, because you you can never get as warm with central heat as you can in my experience anyway with a wood stove. Mm-hmm. So we have central heat, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, we use it as little as possible because we have this wood stove and it's beautiful and it provides heat and it's great to look at because you know we have a, in the in the winter we have our breakfast you know our coffee and tea in front of that wood stove sitting on our couches in the living room and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just always, uh, yeah, it's a, it's something that is, you know, very functional, but very beautiful mm-hmm. and keeps on working. <laughs> cool.
0: I think I just love to hear people say that because as they describe it to me, like that's quality. You yeah. Know, usually stories tied into their functionality, timelessness, yeah, yeah. Content, all those things. I just love to hear, yeah. people, you know, it, uh, that's a great example. Um, well, thank you very much, Bill, for coming. I really appreciate it. If anybody, um, wants to find you guys yep. you know what? where should they be looking
1: well we have a store in Camden Maine and a store in Northport where we manufacture and you can also see some of our uh, processes that we do there if you come to Northport but uh, most people find us on the web at uh, swansislandcompany spelled out dot mm-hmm. com uh, and we have a great uh, website, as you so graciously said. Yes, uh, it's yes. beautiful and functions, <laughs> as these things should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we, you can also call us, um, our, our number's on the website. So, yeah. Yeah. Look you guys run
0: up. a solid Instagram, too, I've seen. But. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure everybody's going to love this. Well, I'm thank so you, Logan.
1: Thanks for, for doing this and for asking me, and I've appreciated chatting with you.